Uh, this morning, what I want to do, um, in fact, let me finish that. I talked to my wife last night on the phone, and, and, and she said, have you, you know, have, have you enjoyed your time up there? And I said, absolutely. I said, you know, they, they are very, very attentive and very, very kind, and, and I've absolutely enjoyed it. And I'm going to get in my car later and go home. Uh, but anyhow, <laughs> um, I want to throw this in, um, kind of just a... Uh, when I talk about wholeness to you, I am absolutely convinced that, that foolishness and shallowness is the disease of our age. And you've got to swim upstream. You've got to do something different, not to be shallow and foolish. You know how the spring break crowd sort of cheers people onto their own destruction? They're going yes, 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 yes to the girl whipping off her top the guy who's got the you know, seven-gallon beer and the crowd's going, yes, 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 and he's chugging it. We're in a culture that cheers all the wrong things. And it's not just wicked people who do it. It's just people that are shallow are also cheering it. And you've got to sort of decide, do I, do I go like a leaf in the river and just sort of go with it? Or, or, or do I actually say no? I, I want to be a person of wisdom. Wisdom is another parallel to my word wholeness. Um, do you want to be a person of discipleship? Discipleship, I love Luke chapter 6, verse 40. It's one of the most phenomenal verses in, in Scripture, in my opinion. I think it's verse 40. If it's not, it's close. But Luke 6, 40, Jesus says that a disciple is, when he's fully trained, will be like his master. You go, okay, that's really deep. No, no, actually it is. The Greek word for trained is the Greek word katartizo. It means to be repaired. Uh, in fact, uh, when the disciples are repairing their nets, they are katartizoing their nets. And so the same way it talks about how you repair nets, katartizo, when Jesus gets done with a disciple, he is repaired and he's like his master. God's greatest desire for you is not that you be saved, period. God's greatest desire for you is that you come to know him and you be repaired. And so you read scripture to be repaired. And you meet in a community to be repaired. And you meet in silence and solitude with the living God to be repaired. All of us need to become whole, wise, discipled. And you're going to look like, sh like shining stars in the universe when you have wholeness. It's just an incredible journey. Here's what I want to throw in before I get to some relationship stuff. And I know you don't need this little diagram, good grief. It's just, again, I entertain myself. Everybody who decides to chase after Jesus seriously, you hit a fork in the road. And the fork in the road looks like it's two good choices. Do I go to the right or do I go to the left? This is people who seriously want to follow Jesus. Both roads look like the road you ought to be on, but you've got to choose one. One road is entitled, please God. As in, I want, to, I, want to, I want to please God. The other road is marked, believe God. And you come to the fork in the road, and you get serious, and you go, I've got to take one? Good grief, they, they both seem right. But I've got to choose one of them. 
and you go, you know what, I do believe God, but I think it's time for me to take another step. I think it's time for me to take the road that says, please God. And so you take the road. I want to remind you, nuances make a world of difference. The difference between a, a masterpiece painting and a mediocre painting is they both use blue, but the nuances of the blue in this one changed everything. Let me tell you what's going to happen if you take the road that says, I want to please God. You're going to come to a great big mansion down here, a huge mansion. That road leads, and you go in that mansion, and you go, wow, I should find phenomenal people because they've taken the road they want to please God. And you go inside that mansion, and it's the weirdest combination of people you ever saw. You, you got the guy who just feels guilty. Just I screwed up again. I was going to please God. Oh, man, I... I I messed it up again. I blew that conversation, the porn last night. This, he just is beating himself. He's, he's bruised from top to bottom from beating himself because I, I said I wasn't going to do it again, and he carries a great deal of guilt. This, this, this mansion's full of people, and he's one of them. It's full of arrogant individuals. Not like the rest of you guys. I, I kind of held it together last week. You've got the anxious individuals, just nervous. I'm just afraid I'm going to screw up. I'm, 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 I'm just nervous. I'm, I'm, I'm going to mess up. I know I'm going to mess up. It's got the person in denial. Their house, I mean, their, their, their life's a train wreck. They're kind of like the person that has toilet paper stuck to their heel, walking every, you know, around everywhere and, and, and going, what? I don't see anything. They're in denial. There's a person curled up over in the corner in a fetal position, almost giving up. And you go, wait a second, this is a weird bunch of people, and all they wanted to do was please God. What? Why? How does it turn out that way? The other road also leads to a house, a big house. And you go into that room, and it's full of people, but there's such a dramatic difference. There's a quietness, and a joy, and a laughter, and a peace. And you go, how in the world? What, what do you mean? Because this individual said, you know, I screwed up this week, but I believe God when he said he won't throw me away. And I believe God when he said he would empower me. And I believe God when he said I'm still his son or daughter. I, I believe God. It's the individual who says, man, I got hard things I have to overcome in my life. But I believe God when he said he will empower me. I believe God when he said he would give me community around me to do it. I believe God. And most of you, when you walk out of a retreat like this, you go home and go, man, I'm just going to grip my teeth, and I'm going I'm to go do it right this time. It's a wonderful motive. Nothing wrong with a motive. Here's the problem. It's too I and me-centered. And an I and me-centered Christian life is powerless and it's as shallow as an August mud puddle. This one, this one has tears as well, but it has tears of God, I don't want to be what I was. But I'm not the star of my own recovery. You are. Will you hold on to me? Earlier in the one of the sessions they've run together on me. If they've run together on me, I know they have on you. Give me your hand. This is the Christian life. I'm not turning loose of you today. I'm not turning loose. 
You told me in John 14, you told me in passage after passage, you would never abandon me, never forsake me, never leave me. You've told me over and over and over again. I'm going to drive home today. I'm not being morbid with this. But if a meteorite hits me while I'm driving home and I don't make it home, somebody at my funeral will say, oh, it's a shame Randy died alone somewhere on I-44. No, he didn't. That's not possible. Never will I abandon you. Never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you. You woke up this morning in front of the throne of God. You go to bed tonight in front of the throne of God. The whole of your life, you are in the presence of a living God who said, I value you. So the question is, which road do you want to live on? I'm going to please God or I'm going to believe God. The crazy thing is, if you believe God, you even believe God, you mean you've got me on mission and there's things you can do with me? You mean you can take a bent stick and draw a straight line? You betcha. This one is the one you want. It has to do with a constant sense of trust. This one has a constant sense of effort, but doesn't have the trust you need. Does that make sense? So when you chase wholeness, chase after wholeness with an accompanied life, a partnered life, a shared life, both with the Holy Spirit and with other people. And you might want to cut this little stumbler you are a little slack. Everybody needs Jesus because we're all stumblers. I'd, I'd stop beating up my friend if I were you. Some of you are beating up my friend. Just, just, just cut him a little slack. It is the Christ who will journey and do discipleship. Let me get to the, what we need to talk about in relationships. What I'm going to give you um, this morning is because Joe, um, I, I, I was going to do something different, but blame this on Joe. If you don't like it, it is Joe's fault over there, okay? Blame Joe. We, well, we probably do things anyhow. Uh, but anyhow, blame Joe. She had heard me talk about this in the past, and she said, yeah, I hadn't talked about it in a while, and so I'm, I'm going to put this in here. There is a concept in all relationships that you need to understand there's a nuance here as well. I, I want to talk to you clearly about how you would handle it in a marriage between a husband and a wife. I want to talk to you clearly about how you would handle a healthy dating relationship between a guy and a girl. But I also want you to run another filter through this. I want you to know that I want to talk to you about how you actually interact with your father. Girls to their fathers, men to the boys to their fathers. How do you interact with your mom? How do you interact with your sister who's 14, with your brother who's 15? I want to talk through the nuances of how God designed how you love somebody of a gender different than you. Do you understand the subtle difference on how you do that? Men and women are not identical except for their plumbing. That's just not the case. Our plumbing is different. But so too are a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of other things in our lives. And if you don't understand that, what will happen is a guy will tend to love a girl or a woman or a mom or a sister, but you, you, you kind of missed because you didn't understand a particular concept about, about how God designed a woman and vice versa. I, I grew up thinking that for the most part, you know, we're pretty similar, you know, uh, I didn't pick up on this nuance either until I had children. 
It's when I had children that, that I actually, God gave me a living demonstration in front of me. Um, my, my son is now 41, my daughter's now 40, uh, the oldest two, but they're 18 months apart in age. And Troy's the, the, uh, the first one, and so about three years of age, easiest way I can describe it, about three years of age, I would come home at the end of the day and have this little three-year-old boy who'd been playing with trucks and tractors and all those things on a little entry porch we had, waiting for his daddy to come home. And when I come home, this little boy would jump up and run up and throw his arms around my leg and give me a hug. And then he would begin to say, and this is a non-precocious, this is a very easy to raise child. This is not a uh, in-your-face child in any way. He would hug my leg and immediately step away and take my hand, begin to say, Daddy, come look. Daddy, come see. Daddy, come look. Daddy, come see. And I could crush that little boy's day pretty quickly by not having any interest in going and looking and seeing. I mean, I got another toddler around, I got his mom around. And again, this is not an obnoxious child, but, he's, but, but the plea of his heart is, Daddy, come look, Daddy, come see. And so I would go in the other room, and he would show me something in the other room he'd done that day, something he'd learned, built, destroyed, or tore up, something along that line. I learned very quickly that I could crush that little boy's heart very easily by going, Troy, that's not so good. You're supposed to color in the lines. No, Troy, the, the big blocks go on the bottom and the little blocks go on top. You know my line were, were not those lines. My line was this. Troy, that's really good. Nice job, son. Do you mind if we tear that out and put that on the refrigerator? Really nice job, hon. Do you, do, do you care? Could, can, I, can we mail that to Grandma? In the voice of a father, a little boy, uncoached, untaught, nobody had to teach this little boy this. He threw out a lure hoping that I would bite on it because the, the voice of the father was, son, I'm incredibly proud of you. Nice job. So I got parenting figured out. Bragging on your kids, okay? 18 months later, my daughter Katie is now three. I come in the same door, this little three-year-old would come running up and give me a hug and did the same thing her brother did and then all the bets were off. It changed entirely. I'm not making this up. I'm not exaggerating it. It's the weirdest thing when it began to happen. She ran off after she gave me a hug. She stepped off about as far as you are from me, put her hands on her hips, and give a little tease. And the first time she said it, I didn't even know what she was saying. I mean, she was clear, but it didn't. Today, I'm not daddy's girl. I'm Johnny's girl. What? Johnny became a brother-in-law, married my, my wife's sister. Today, I'm not daddy's girl, I'm Johnny's girl. Well, I could crush that little girl's heart pretty quickly, going, fine, be Johnny's girl, see if I care. That wasn't my line, and you know that. <laughs> my line was, oh, no, you're not Johnny's girl, you're daddy's girl. No, I'm not, I'm Johnny's girl. Pictures of a little three-year-old. Oh, no, you're not Johnny's girl, you're daddy's girl. Oh, no. And then she would take off running, and I would do my big giant coming across the floor, you know, stomping and those sort of things, and she would run behind a big recliner we had over in the corner uh, of the living room, and she would get behind the recliner, and I would, you know, come my marching across, and then I would reach behind the recliner, recliner until I, I got a, a body part, <laughs> and I would find a little giggly girl that I would pull out, and she's just giggling up a storm, and then she would say, okay, Dave. Okay, I'll be daddy's girl. Daddy, would you read to me? 
and we would sit in the chair and have a three-year-old girl tucked under my arm and we would read. What's playing out? I'm going to give you a pretty clear delineation. The craving of a little three-year-old boy's heart is pretty simple. Dad, are you proud of me? Dad, do you respect me? Dad, is there anything in my life you're proud of? And the craving of a three-year-old little girl has nothing to do with this flirting with some kind of, uh, it's just this. Dad, am I important to you? Do I matter to you? I've done so much counseling through the years, and I realize that three-year-old boy and three-year-old girl never really change. Oh, they mature and all kinds of things. But that basic craving is there. Let me fast forward. Let me make him 13. When Troy was 13, he was tall and gangly. He ended up being 6'3 and all those sort of things. But as a 13-year-old boy, he's tall and gangly, and he would be out shooting baskets outside our house. Nobody taught him this language. And again, he's, not, he's an easy kid to raise. But he would come and open the door to, you know, to the house, and he would holler, Hey, Dad, come out here. I want to show you something. Hey, Dad, come out here. I want you to see something. And he would show me how close he was getting to, wasn't a dunk at 13, I promise. But he showed me something, and, and he's fishing. It's a very subtle fish, but he's fishing. I go, well, nice job, Troy. Wow. I'm impressed. Nice, nice work ethic. Man, you've, 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 nice job, huh? What he really wanted to do is play me one-on-one. -on -one. And so I'd play him one-on-one, -on -one and I could beat him easily because I would cheat. <laughs> but what he really wanted me to do was to huff and puff and lean against the house and go, son, nice job. Wow, you, you had me there. You could have given up a minute ago. Man, I, nice job. Nice job, son. And a three-year, 13-year-old boy has reflections of a three-year-old little boy. Oh, Father, are, are you proud of me? Well, Katie, 18 months later, she's 13. Katie was my sissy girl. Um, she was the one who didn't want to get her hands dirty. She was the one who didn't want to touch the dog. You know, she was the one who played the piano lessons and didn't all that sort of thing. And she was also very, very tall, very early. She turned out to be six foot tall. Sports didn't really interest her. And I don't say this honestly. To, I, I say this with some regret. I knew how to take really good care of a little girl when you give pony back rides on your back and on your shoulders. And I knew how to sit beside her when she played scales. But I didn't know how to play with her as well. And so I did, you know, when she got a certain age. And so I started... I mean, I'm playing ball with Troy outside, and she got into sports because she was chasing after her father. I, I, I know that. So let me fast forward. She's 13, and she's shooting baskets. She opened the door to the same house, but she never used the same language Troy did. Troy's was always, let me show you something. Let me see something. Hey, Dad, would you play me one-on-one? -on -one? Katie would open the door, and she would stick her head in and go, hey, Dad, would you come stay with me while I shoot baskets? Or, hey, Dad, would you come shoot baskets with me? And I have rebounded 70 gazillion balls to that girl as I would sit 
or I would just flip them back to her because here was her question. The 13-year-old girl was a reflection of the three-year-old girl. Dad, do you have time for me? Dad, is there a place in your life for me? I'll be 66 on my next birthday. Do you want to know the thing that blows me away? My wife is so kind to me in so many ways, but can I tell you the things that go deepest? I'll preach a lousy sermon, or, uh, and on the way home, my wife will say to me, Randy, I don't know how you do it. Randy, that was so helpful to me. Randy, that was so, thank you, hon. Man, you really helped me worship this morning when you said this. I'm going, well, that sermon wasn't that. And my wife has decided that she's married to a three-year-old little boy. And the world may give me paper cuts every kind, and I may fail. But my wife wants me to know that she admires me, that she's proud of me, that she thinks highly of me. You see, I'm also that three-year-old little boy and that 13-year-old little boy. Quite frankly, my dad being 91 and my mom 89, when my dad and mom are together, it is my mom who is always saying at some level, your dad is just so impressive to me. Well, is he always impressive in everything? Of course not, any more than I am with my own wife. But in her worship, she has decided the way to love me is to throw some of the junk away and to find the thing that she can love me best which is some sense of I'm proud of you. I also know my wife well enough. My wife is talented in so many ways. And I can brag on my wife, don't misunderstand me, and there's a right reason to do that. But, but if I would say, you know, you're the best you know, cook in 17 counties, you know, that's not what my wife wants to know. My wife wants to know She wants to know she doesn't have to compete against my work or my life. Oh, I may not be able to spend all the time I want, but she wants to know where does she fit in my life. And at times, I'm sure my wife has felt like she was the three-year-old girl behind the chair and I didn't come look, that I didn't have time. And you go, well, wait a second, where does this biblically fit? The husband is addressed about a dozen times in Scripture, and about every single time he's ever addressed in Scripture, he's always told this, you make sure that you cherish your wife, that you love your wife. Don't you miss this concept over and over and over again. You treat your wife in a loving, inclusive manner. The wife is addressed about a dozen times in Scripture, and we get so taken off on the whole authority side that we sort of miss it. But at most every single time, it's make sure that your husband knows he's respected by you. Why? Because you're married to a three-year-old little boy who happens to be 33, and you're married to a three-year-old little girl. Can you take good care of one another? Here's the biggest weaknesses that happen in families. Dads are afraid their sons are going to get a big head, and so dads tend to criticize their sons on a regular basis because I don't want my kid to be, get a big head. Here's the trouble. Yes, a, a boy shouldn't get a big head, but the problem is the biggest weakness in a boy is not that he's going to get a big head. The biggest weakness in a boy is anybody proud of me? Do I mount anything in your sight? The coach may not think I'm good. The team may not think I'm good. The girls may not think I'm good. But those of you who love me, do you think I amount to anything? And boys are scrambling like crazy trying to get somebody to be proud of them. 
if you want to love a man. Some of you, your dads, you have no idea the internal battle your dad, he feels like he's a brown paper sack with no personality. He feels like I've gone to this job and I've never taken care of my family financially like I wished I could. I never got the promotions that I wished I could and your dad is desperate to be loved. But the thing he doesn't hear is, Dad, I'm proud of you. Dad, thank you. Dad, I noticed that I ever tell you. Some of you, your moms are dying on the inside because you picked up all your new friends and all your new life and you need to do that. You don't need to feel guilty about having your own life. But your mom became sort of just the supply line in your life. And what you forgot to do is, as young men, young women, is call your mom and go, Mom, I can't come home this weekend, but I thought about you. Mom, thanks. Mom, you have no idea what you mean. Mom, I think I took you for granted for too much of my life. Thank you. Mom, I just finished a great retreat. And it talked about wholeness. And mom, I got to thinking, you set a pattern that I want to be. The nuances are, are simple. It's, they use the same words. I noticed, I appreciate, thank you, did I ever tell you? Same words. But they kind of go different directions. Julie called me. Uh, we called, talked last night as I was driving home. And she was telling me about her day. And and she said, I had one of the most memorable visits I've, I, I believe I will ever have. We have a grandson who's fifth grade, probably going to be a decent basketball player, and he'd ask Grandma if, if, if she would go 40 miles and watch his game. And Julie said, I'm, I'm, I'm home. I can come watch your game. Well, she got the wrong time. Something had changed on the tournament. So, so my wife drove another 25 miles and went to where my parents live, and nobody was there but my mom. And Julie said, your mom wasn't feeling well. Mom's kind of got one of those sinus infection things. And, and she said, I sat down with your mom, and we ended up talking for 45 minutes. And, and she said, sitting there, just the two of us, I could tell your mom of what she had meant to the family and what she meant to our family and what her prayer life means to us. And she said, your mom, it was like, it was like she, she just blossomed in front of me and, and your mom was saying these things about to me and two women said we just hugged each other and held and, and they've been a great relationship all along. But what was it? It was, it was two women who found each other behind a, a recliner in the corner. Your 12-year-old sister needs to know that she matters to you. You can't do everything you'd like to do, but tell your 12-year-old sister what she needs to hear. Tell your 14-year-old brother what he needs to hear. And when you get in your marriage, in the morning, guys, when you brush your teeth and you shave, 
you basically say, somehow today, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to have life, and it's going to be full and complex, but somehow today my wife is going to know that she matters to me and she doesn't have to compete against anything. Somehow today I will say words like, I notice and I appreciate and thank you and I ever tell you. Somewhere I'm going to, she's going to know it. I will jump up when she's carrying groceries in and that stupid ESPN and the remote is irrelevant because she matters to me and I will jump up. And when the woman is, is brushing her teeth and combing her hair in the morning, what she's saying is somehow today the world may, may give him 9,000 paper cuts, but I choose to invest in him by somehow going to his heart and saying thank you. You have no idea. When I say invest in each other, you're going to do a lot of investment. You're going to wash dishes to take the pressure off the other one. You're going to do laundry. You're going to clean bathrooms. You're going to go on dates. But the primary way you invest is to know the primary way the human heart kind of bleeds. And I want to insert my voice into where it bleeds. So. This is practical. Take the 12 year old and the 15 year old and the 9 year old and the 42 year old and somewhere you say this. You have no idea how proud I am of you. You have no idea how grateful I am for you. And you find the way that you go to the male and the female and hit that little nuance of what the human heart craves. It's been an honor to be with you. May the Lord bless you. I'm sure there's a blessing of some type that I'm supposed to do. I don't know how you do that one. It's been an honor. Thank you, guys. God bless.